0: Welcome to our Women in Arbitration podcast mini-series, a platform for women's voices across the global international arbitration community. I'm Lucy Winnington-Ingram, an international arbitration lawyer based in Reed Smith's London office. In these episodes, we will hear from leading women in the international arbitration space and discuss industry news, trends, developments, and matters of interest. And with that, let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Arbitral Insights and the next in our Women in Arbitration mini series. For this session and for this International Women's Day, I'm delighted to talk with women associates across the firm about the theme of this year's International Women's Day breaking the bias. First, I'm joined by Gemma Collins, counsel in our Singapore office, focusing on litigation and arbitration in the natural resources sector. Gemma, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. So Gemma, one thing that we all know has been instrumental in increasing gender diversity and the representation of women in arbitration has been the Equal Representation in Arbitration Pledge. The pledge is both a firm, wide and personal commitment. So Gemma, my question for you today is how do you try to incorporate Reed Smith's and your own commitment to the pledge in your practice? This is a
1: really interesting question because for change to take place, we need to not just talk the talk, but also walk the walk. I have tried to incorporate Reed Smith's commitment to the pledge by providing opportunities for associates and paralegals to be involved in large, complex arbitrations based on their skills, talents and interests without making any assumptions about these points based on age, marital status or family commitments. I personally have benefited from working with senior lawyers throughout my career who have presented me with opportunities to be involved in some very large and complex arbitrations. While conscious of my family commitments, I have two small children, that didn't stop them from including and encouraging me to grow and develop and to take on new challenges and greater responsibility. I've therefore tried to pass on to others this access to opportunities. And my hope is that in doing so, I not only raise the profile of aspiring female arbitration lawyers, but ultimately, we gain a few more excellent female lawyers from which we can appoint as arbitrators in the future.
0: Yes, Gemma, I agree. I think it's it's important to remember that the pledge is not just about thinking of women to including shortlists and trying to, trying to appoint women arbitrators. It's, it's so much more than that. And there's so much that we can do internally within the firm to promote more, you know, more junior women, whether that's mentoring, whether that's speaking opportunities or just having really diverse teams. So Gemma, is there anyone you'd like to mention as having gone above and beyond to advance gender diversity and arbitration or indeed, you know, any number of people?
1: Christina Cadenis. Christina is not only a great inspiration for young female lawyers in arbitration, but she's also been a mentor for me. I had the pleasure of working with Christina on two ICC arbitrations while I was in New York, and Christina not only took the time to teach me new skills, but she also gave me the opportunity to take a leading role in arbitrations
0: and gave me the confidence to do so. No, mentoring particularly not just at the early stages of your career but throughout is just is just so so important and um I know I'm the one who who's asking the questions but for me uh, my person is also someone internal and that's Belinda Paisley who I've had a similar relationship with from the from the very beginning of my of my career and I'm enormously grateful to her for kind of showing me showing me the way and the, the investment that she's she's placed in me over the years well thank you very much Gemma that was fantastic and great to speak with you with me next is Catherine Lewis, an associate in our London office, focusing on commercial arbitration, specialising in insurance. Catherine, great to have you
2: here as well today. Thanks so much, Lucy. Really pleased to be here.
0: So, Catherine, my question for you is what can IA practitioners do to break the bias?
2: And it's a great question. And it really flows from a lot of points that you and Gemma already discussed. And we've mentioned the pledge already as a kind of a public and firm wide commitment to um, increase the number of women appointed as arbitrators. But as we were talking about, on an individual level, there is lots that we can all be doing on a daily basis um, whilst diverse panel appointments are obviously incredibly important but representation needs to be wider than that to ensure that female practitioners continue to choose that career path so for me at least like the first point is awareness and being aware of diversity and reflecting on the team that we work within and the people that we work for and to try and see this as not just a leadership issue but a personal issue that we can all be conscious of in our day-to-day work. And so I try to ask myself some questions when either instructed on a new matter or getting involved in a new case, such as, am I having internal discussions to encourage diversity within the team at Reed Smith? So at all levels, whether it's trainees or external experts or counsel. And are women then reflected in my arbitrator or panel appointments or any shortlist provided to clients? And as well as arbitrator appointments, are women reflected in my choice of, say, experts or other specialists that you might bring in externally? And then finally, am I maintaining a network of female practitioners? So current and former colleagues who or, are or all potential future experts or future arbitrator appointments. So it's something that I'm trying to do on a kind of you know, regular basis rather than you know, every six months or years, you suddenly realise that you haven't been thinking about it. Because I think the more that we're conscious of, diversity and the importance of working with diverse teams, the more we're engaging in the debate about the importance of having women in in senior arbitral positions.
0: Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that, Catherine. And I think that's been one of the really interesting things for me personally about the pledge is it just kind of sparked the conversation and it put it about, you know, women in arbitration and increasing diversity and the types of things we can all be doing. And many of them were things we were already doing, but we're now consciously thinking about them each and every time we, we go into a new matter or, you know, just day to day in our careers. And that's what I think has been really important, just raising that level of, of consciousness and, and just encouraging people to have those discussions internally.
2: Yeah, exactly right.
0: So Catherine, same question to you, as I just asked Gemma, is there anyone you would like to give a special mention to who you think has done a lot to advance gender diversity and arbitration?
2: Yeah, I'm actually going to mention a male partner, Gautam Bhattacharya in our London office. He again is, we have a very good mental relationship. And for me, it's a real illustration of leading by example. And I think the reason Gautam struck me as someone that I wanted to mention is he's mindful of diversity generally. So it's obviously a bigger issue than just women in arbitration, but it's, it's something broader than that. But he's also someone that I feel that I can have frank discussions with when we're looking to appoint an arbitrator or a mediator or or counsel to ensure that we are promoting gender and ethnic diversity across all our appointments and all our internal teams. So whilst he's obviously a great practitioner, and I've learned a lot in terms of my own specialism, it's helpful to have someone that you can challenge those typical roles and to ensure that you're having those discussions at all levels
0: that's great and you know really great to have you know because of course there are many men out there who are incredibly supportive of the pledge and do an enormous amount to promote gender diversity so great to great to be able to kind of give them give them a
2: shout out on this
0: podcast today
2: absolutely thanks Lucy
0: great well thanks so much Catherine next I'm joined by Vanessa Tiefry an associate in our Paris office focusing on international arbitration construction and environmental issues Vanessa great to have you here today Hi, Lucy. Thank you for having me. So, Vanessa, my question for you is, what are some initiatives that you have been involved in which help to break the bias?
3: Well, Lucy, the first initiative I would like to mention is, of course, this Women in Arbitration miniseries. It's a wonderful way to permit women in the arbitration community. For example, a while ago, I recorded this podcast with Judith Levine on the challenges of arbitrating environmental disputes. These podcasts are truly a great way to give female arbitration practitioners a voice. But more seriously, our team has taken a habit of implementing the recommendations under the Pledge for Equal Representation in Arbitration, of which Reed Smith is a signatory, as you know. For example, in our arbitration practice, we are always conscious of presenting a team to the client that is gender diverse at the beginning of the case just as we include women in our shortlists of potential arbitrators when considering them. We also have a rule to present gender equal diverse panels when we organize arbitration events. Also in our day-to-day practice, almost 50% of our international arbitration practitioners in the Paris office are women. And we attempt to recruit our interns on an equality basis, but in the end, Most of our interns end up to be female. From a more personal standpoint, I have been very lucky to benefit a number of initiatives and programs led by the firm's Women's Initiative Network winners that have enabled me to gain confidence to lead my project to term. These programs include regional or firm-wide trainings for the empowerment of women, including with male champions who bring an, an entire fresh perspective, and also a cross-industry mentorship program to promote gender equality. The program ended a few months ago, but personally, I am still in touch with my mentor. The Paris chapter of Winners is also brilliantly active and regularly organizes meetings with inspiring women who share their incredible professional journeys with us. Finally, externally, Winners also on occasions organizes events with female staff of her clients, which are always a great success.
0: Thanks, Vanessa. And it's really great to hear about all the things that you've been doing to promote gender diversity um, in, in your practice, and also more widely within Reed Smith. I'm really pleased you gave a shout out to this podcast series. Uh, as you know, we've had some fantastic speakers on this, you know, to name a few. I myself have interviewed Lucy Reed, president of ICA and Susie Savage, partner in our London office, has had the pleasure of interviewing Meg Kinnear, Secretary General of ICSID. So we're very, very lucky to have had some wonderful guest speakers on this podcast. And Vanessa, same question to you then. Is there anyone who you'd like to give a special mention to who you think has done a lot to promote gender diversity?
3: I would definitely say Peter Brusher, a partner in the Reed Smith Paris office. He is an exceptionally generous and supportive person who, I don't know whether he is aware of this, has helped me push my limits by far. I feel very lucky to work with him on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. Thanks, Vanessa. Thank you for having me, Lucy. It was great. Next up,
0: I'm here with Jane Miles, an associate in our Dubai office, who focuses her practice on construction and engineering disputes. Jane, thanks so much for joining me today.
4: Hi, Lucy, and thanks for having me along today. So, Jane, my question for you is,
0: what changes have you seen in the course of your practice over the past few years?
4: You know, I've really noticed a change in attitude towards the importance of diversity and achieving parity for women in the legal and arbitration spheres. Uh, I can recall attending an ICC conference here in Dubai around 10 years ago and seeing the topic of diversity and the idea of promoting women in arbitration as a point of discussion for the first time. And um, I was impressed that the ICC had this on its radar. That said, there were far fewer female panellists up on the stage during the course of the conference in comparison with the male panellists. And some delegates were a little too quick to be dismissive about it. But when you compare that to the more recent briefings and conferences I attended for Dubai Arbitration Week in November, the back end of last year, There were a number of conversations around the importance and the value of diversity in arbitration and achieving parity and notably more women panelists in comparison to 10 years ago. There were a number of encouraging examples as well of of what organizations and institutions are doing to address it, such as the steps that the SCCA has taken to ensure its list includes a a significant number of women as well as men. I also think that with more and more businesses recognizing the value add that having a diverse workforce brings to their bottom line, this has had an impact on service providers such as law firms. You know, it's commonplace these days uh, in a pitch to be required to evidence a genuine investment in diversity of our own business and to be able to demonstrate an engagement in external diversity focused initiatives as well. Or, you know, we potentially risk losing work. You know, clients much prefer to work with service providers that share their values like we do Reed Smith. No, another example of change I can give you is that, you know, I've seen a difference in the response to the pledge, which has been around for, I think, seven years now or so. But, you know, just three or four years ago, the subject would come from conversation with peers at an event, say. And it'd get a bit of a mixed reaction in terms of those who supported it and those who thought it just wasn't really needed. You know, again, move forward to the present day. And I've seen a notable change in mindset with so many firms and organisations signing up to it. And as you know, Lucy, at the start of an arbitration, the arbitrator or panel of arbitrators needs to be identified. And prior to joining Reed Smith in early 2020, I'd always try and identify or suggest a suitably qualified female candidate for the issues in dispute, but it was never mandatory. But, you know, shortly after joining the firm, I very quickly found myself working on a list of suitable candidates for the role of co-arbitrator on a client matter. And I recall the partner's I was working with being very clear about the importance of putting forward a number of suitably qualified female candidates alongside male candidates. And this represented a significant shift in mindset, I think, compared to the mindset that I'd encountered earlier on in my career. And what I think also helps around this is that there does seem to be a growing number of female arbitrators available now in comparison with, say, just five years ago. I think to wrap it up, the difference I've seen over the last few years in particular is that it really does seem to be taken seriously now with a number of initiatives coming through from arbitration related organisations and institutions and administrative centres in the offing. You know, with a growing l- number of law firms really tackling the matter head on, both internally in terms of how talent is hired and retained, as well as supporting initiatives externally within the communities that we all live and work. So, for example, the Smith UAE offices have developed a partnership with All-Emirati Female Rugby Team, Al Maha, and we've set up a leadership and mentoring programme to support the young female Emirati talent, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch too. All of these changes are, for me, a positive reflection of the progress that's being made on a broader scale.
0: Thanks, Jane. That, that's really interesting. I think I've certainly noticed kind of similar shifts. A big one for me has been when i think when i first started to practice where i would go to an event and you would have a a, pan, a panel which was all female that panel would typically be talking about you know so called women's issues or you know diversity or what it's like to be a female practitioner in ia things like that whereas now and this is just fantastic. It's not that surprising to go, to go to an event and have an entire panel, all of women, but they're not talking about anything to do with diversity. They're just talking about their subject matter and areas of expertise. And I think that's been that's been the main shift that I've noticed over the past few years. Certainly, I think also, you know, now the level of consciousness has definitely been raised. And I see that even with, you know, working with council, it's very rare that they would propose a short list of candidates for arbitrators. And that wouldn't include at least one woman. My next question to you is, is there anyone who you'd like to give a particular shout out to who you think has done a lot to increase diversity uh, in arbitration?
4: Well, for me, it has to be Linda Fitz-Allen, the registrar and chief executive at the Abu Dhabi Global Markets Courts. She's done a significant amount of work with her litigation and arbitration teams over the last few years since her appointment in 2015 to promote and champion women. You know, Linda recognised early on that women work differently to men when it comes to self-promotion. And although it's sometimes unhelpful to generalise, the fact is, more often than not, you'll find that hardworking, highly driven, successful women share this inherent heads down, let's get on with it attitude. And so busy getting the job done, they miss out on opportunities to put themselves forward for roles or appointments. So to counteract this tendency, Linda specifically tasked the ADGM's arbitration team with a job of literally hunting down skilled, experienced women to include on the ADGM's registry for arbitral appointments. And it's this sort of thought leadership, setting an example to the arbitration community that, that will really help achieve parity. Well thanks very much Jane and great to have you here today. Thanks, Lucy. It's been my pleasure.
0: And next we're joined by Clara Fung, an associate in our Hong Kong office. Clara focuses on a broad range of commercial arbitration work. Hi, Clara. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Lucy. Very happy to be joining today. Great to have you here. So my question for you, Clara, is what are the greatest challenges to breaking the bias? Gender
5: bias, as you all know, is a complex issue, but broadly, as commonly cited, the two main themes to the challenges. Firstly, there are a number of obstacles to women becoming sufficiently qualified and senior members of the profession women are often the primary caregivers in families and often have to juggle their work and family lives. And without sufficient support structures in place, such as flexible working arrangements, it's often quite difficult for women to progress as well as they could. There may also be certain biases within the structures or the law firms. For example, according to a law society report, respondents say that women are not perceived as competent or as strong litigators as men. All of these factors hinder women's career progression and limit the chances of gaining the experience and reputation they need to stay on and become more senior arbitration practitioners or arbitrators. A second key challenge to gender diversity is in relation to whether the parties themselves decide to nominate female arbitrators. Statistics show that parties generally appoint a small percentage of women and there has not been much of a percentage increase in female appointments by the parties in recent years. According to the ICCA report of the Cross-Institutional Task Force, only 13.9% of party appointments have been women in 2019, and there has only been an increase of about 2% from 2016 to 2019. According to another survey done by White and Case and Queen Mary University last year, almost half of the respondents agree that one of the most effective initiatives in encouraging diversity would be council suggesting diverse lists of arbitrators to the clients. But as the survey suggests, this may be easier said than done. So firstly, council need to have adequate access to information about all the suitable candidates, and that includes all the female candidates. Uh, Secondly, it suggested that in some cases, even when uh, council present diverse lists to the clients, they may be met with some resistance. If, for example, candidates have less experience as arbitrators or the names are not as familiar uh, to the clients. And certainly uh, biased perceptions may come into this as well. Some clients may be more inclined towards qualities which may be more typically associated with men and which they perceive to be those of a successful arbitrator, such as you know, being more uh, influential or assertive. So I think in conclusion, there's been growing awareness and increasing gender diversity in arbitration. The proportion of female arbitrators has almost doubled from 2015 to 2019 to 21.3%, according to the ICCA report. But of course, with that percentage, there's still a lot of room for improvement, and a number of challenges still remain.
0: Thank you very much, Clara. I'm very happy to report that certainly in my recent experience, I've had the opposite experience with clients. I'm finding that not only are they increasingly expecting a diverse list of arbitrators, but also a diverse counsel team as well, which I think is going to be incredibly important because if the client is expecting a diverse list, and that's going to put pressure on lawyers across the community to be presenting that diverse list and really doing their homework on the female arbitrators who are out there. Clara, final question for you. If you had to name someone or, or a number of people who you think have done a lot to advance gender, gender diversity in international arbitration, who would that person or those people be?
5: So if I may, it's probably not one individual, but I'd like to, to take the opportunity to say that it's encouraging to see the work that arbitral institutions have done to support gender diversity. For example, around one third of arbitral institutions' appointments have been women in 2019. So I think it's not only important for them to take the lead in appointing female arbitrators, but also to collate diversity statistics, launch initiatives, and generally raise awareness of the issues.
0: I'd absolutely agree with that. And I know last year, and it was well publicised, that we had a an ICSID annulment committee that was made up of all female committee members, which. You know, it, it it attracted a lot of press and quite rightly, but it's interesting because you, you certainly wouldn't get a lot of press for an all male committee. So I hope that going forward this will start to become the norm, and it won't be something that you know people people feel the need to talk about because it'll be it'll be normalised. Clara, thank you so much. It's been really interesting talking to you, and thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you very much. And finally, today we're joined by Suhei Herrera, counsel in a Miami office. Suhey focuses her practice on general commercial arbitration and litigation. Suhey, thanks so much for being my last guest on the podcast today.
6: Thank you, Lucy. It's such a pleasure to be invited.
0: And the final question of the day then, and a very important one. Suhey, what pitfalls are there for women in the IA
6: space? So Lucy, I would say, I, I don't know if I would call it a pitfall, but I would say more of a consideration for women to not fall into these pitfalls. And I would say the first one I would mention is making sure that you find the right mentor for yourself. And it doesn't have to be a woman. It's great if it is a woman, because they may be dealing with some issues that you've also dealt with. But certainly you want someone who supports the development of women in international arbitration or frankly, in any career, right? You want someone that gives you opportunities, okay, those stand up opportunities to be able to present arguments, to draft, to take lead, to really find the path for yourself. And also can understand some limitations that you may face in your personal life and can help you and giving practical solutions. So I think that is one big. pitfall to be afraid of picking the wrong mentor, right? Picking, for example, a mentor that doesn't, you have a family life and, you know, they also may have a family life, but because of their situation, they may not understand some of the limitations, right? So for example, a married, you know, a married partner or mentor may not have the same limitations as a single parent, right? And so there's not that same support system that you would have. And so you would want a mentor that can understand that and support you through. Likewise, you know, some men you would want a mentor that if, you know, in arbitration in particular, there's so many less opportunities, right, to give or argument, right? Compare in comparison, at least into the United States, where you have, you know, you have hearings in front of judges, you have discovery disputes and so many more opportunities. To develop your oral advocacy skills in arbitration, it's much more limited. So you do want to look for a mentor that is able to give you those opportunities and lets you develop professionally and not just be in the background. So that, that's uh, definitely one. Another pitfall that I see for women in national arbitration, and, and quite frankly, just in the law and probably in, in any profession, is how to find that right mix for your family and you know we're all professionals we have responsibilities we have to meet those responsibilities but at the end of the day you may be married or you have a partner or you have children and work is important but this other aspect of your life is important is also important and i i say that it, it is very important particularly for me because when you look at statistics for suicide for depression you know the lawyer profession is just so high and i do think that's a pitfall that we need to not always put aside everything just for our profession, but try to find a happy balance. It's not gonna be a perfect balance, but a happy balance that you don't you're not facing depression, you know, or anxiety and, and things like that. I would say the last pitfall that I personally would like to mention, it might be more of a, an American pitfall, right? <laughs> and that's that. Practicing in arbitration, it goes back to mentorship. Practicing in arbitration, again, you know, I mentioned I mentioned those stand up opportunities for all advocacy, right? But once you practice in arbitration, particularly in Miami, right, it's a it's a very international city. Um, a number of our international arbitrations are seated here, but it's very rare that the arbitration seated here will be necessarily governed by Florida law, right? And so sometimes you're practicing arbitration for years, and maybe you haven't, you know, you haven't done. A lot of law in Florida, or practice before the courts for a number of years, and then suddenly, for whatever reason, there's a you know a change in the type of cases that come into your office. And if you haven't been, you don't, you're not familiar with Florida law. You haven't practiced in the courts. You don't know the judges. You really do have a bit a bit of a disadvantage. So it's a, it's important also there that you're when you're you know a woman or really an, any attorney where you're practicing international arbitration. And I feel like, again, in in the U.S., that might be a little bit different in other regions that you want to ensure that you get all around experience so that if you need to switch and start doing work in the courts or you need to switch and start doing work under Florida law, that you are not behind and be the master of your own career.
0: That's really interesting, Suhei, and um, in particular what you say about mentoring. So, mentoring is something that, unsurprisingly, has come up quite a lot today. Um, but specific advocacy mentoring, I think that is something that is, you know, potentially quite unique to international arbitration. And I know that I've been incredibly lucky, and you know, my first advocacy experiences in international arbitration were, I suppose, I was encouraged towards them by. Two people who I would say are mentors of mine, Alison McDonald QC, who's just a fantastic, amazing barrister, and Paul Wee, also another amazing barrister, and they, you know, they they really encouraged me, they coached me. And when people are investing in you like that and take time out of their day to really help you, that's that's just invaluable, and it gives you the confidence you need to take those take those first steps.
6: No, one hundred percent agreed, and I have been lucky to work with people that just have been in the same way very supportive and really have given me a lot of help, right, I would say, especially early on in my career. Um, And even now, uh, just, you know, always making themselves available, always finding opportunities for me, right, and pointing out for me in a very constructive manner, hey, this is what you need to work on. Hey, you know, you did great on this, right? I mean, it, it, it really is invaluable, and it gives you confidence, and it lets you be a better leader. And Suhei,
0: on the subject of mentors then, and I know you've said that you've had a number of incredibly important mentors throughout your career. Are there any people in particular you'd like to name who you think have done a lot for, either
6: for you or for gender diversity more generally? Yes, I, I just two people that I'll mention and not to, I mean, there's so many more, frankly, that I can mention, but just mentioning two here, Jose Estigarraga from the Miami office and Edward Mullins from the Miami office. Both have been just instrumental in my career, giving me opportunities as a young attorney to, for example, do redirects of witnesses, uh, do cross-examinations of witnesses, international arbitration, trusting me to, you know, develop really the arguments that needed to be developed to do their cross-examinations, right, and in openings and closings. So, I mean, I I think these are, you know, when I say mentorship, you know, I think of them as well as others that I've worked with in the Miami office, but I really do think of them and, you know, they actually care, right, that if you're working with them, it's not just about having someone to work with your, you know your worker be to turn something around, but they actually want to develop a full attorney, right a full you know and they want to develop you into a partner, they want to develop you into a successful partner, and they give you the resources to be able to do that. Fantastic.
0: Well, thank you, Suehe, and it's been my pleasure to talk to six fantastic, interesting women around the Reed Smith office today for this podcast in aid of International Women's Day. So all that remains to be said is happy International Women's Day. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode.
7: Please tune into Arbitral Insights again soon. Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali mccardell For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email arbitralinsights at readsmith.com. To learn about the Reed Smith Arbitration Pricing Calculator, a first of its kind mobile app that forecasts the cost of arbitration around the world search arbitration pricing calculator on reedsmith.com or download for free through the apple and google play app stores you can find our podcast on spotify apple google play stitcher reedsmith.com and our social media accounts at LLP on linkedin facebook and twitter